What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a, another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. I hope you're doing well. Happy Friday. Today, we are going to be covering the SEC versus Kraken. Uh, the China spy balloon has now become the China laser. We're going to talk about that story. And keeping it on China, we're going to talk about credit, the credit bubble. There was some uh, reports. You know, we just recently covered reports about U.S. credit with the Sluice report. Uh, well, a similar stuff has come out with China, so we're going to be covering that. So thanks for joining me. If that sounds good and you guys are watching on YouTube or on Twitter, you know, like, follow. If you're on YouTube, make comments, all of that stuff. Check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. I did put out my first Market Pro letter. So this is a new tier on the website that is all of my technical, fundamental comparative, historical analysis, all of that stuff wrapped into one thing, uh, taking the price section out of the free report and expanding it and putting it out as a secondary tier. So check that out. If you want to get 50% off your first month for that, uh, you have to go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50. All right. What, what was going on yesterday too? I did not record a live stream yesterday. I was doing FedWatch. For those that don't know, FedWatch is a show I do with Bitcoin Magazine on their YouTube and Rumble channels. It's at 12.30 Eastern time every Thursday. We've kind of moved it around uh, quite a bit over the last year, trying to find the right fit for them and the right fit for the show. Uh, Thursdays are good because it's after most of the time you have FOMCs and stuff. They come out on Wednesdays. You also see like CPIs and stuff. They usually come out either Mondays or Wednesdays, something like that. Thursday is a good day to catch everything. Last week, we did have a pretty big show. I think we got uh, combined with Rumble and YouTube. We were over 5,000 views, so that was pretty good. And then, of course, you have the podcast version on top of that. So check out FedWatch every Thursday, 1230 Eastern. Okay, um, today, let's briefly, briefly, as briefly as possible, well, no, let, no. First, let's go to the SEC. So I'm going to play this. It should come through if I have it set up correctly. Let's go. Chair Kanzler, it's great to see you this morning. Um, there's, a, there's a phrase online where they say, tell it to me like I'm five. So for those who are uninitiated into what happened here, tell it to me like I'm five. What, what, what was Kraken doing and what was the problem that you were trying to solve? Um, Andrew, what Kraken was doing was asking the American public for their uh, coins, uh, crypto tokens, and say, I'll give you a return, 4% to 21 I do appreciate that it doesn't seem rehearsed. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Gary Gensler. I'm not a huge fan of the SEC. Uh, I think he's probably the best guy we could have had there for Bitcoin. Um so, but anyway, I like the fact that it doesn't sound rehearsed. Um, he could have come out and said, you know, hey, this is what we have, boom, 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 boom. But it does sound like he's kind of looking for his words. So that makes me think he's being more honest. All right, let's continue. Percent returns. And the problem was they were not disclosing to the investing public uh, the risk that the investing public was entering into. And we have a basic bargain in the United States since the 1930s. You can take whatever risk you want. Companies like Kraken can offer investment contracts and investment schemes, but they have to have full 
fair, and truthful disclosure. And this puts the investors who watch your program in a better position. That's our basic bargain. They were not complying with that basic law. So how does this, though, differ, for example, uh, from some of the other firms out there, including Coinbase, who offer yield products? Whether you call it, the labels don't matter. Uh, long ago, Supreme Court Justice Marshall said this so eloquently. Uh, it's not about the labels. It's about the underlying economics. And uh, this really should put everyone on notice in this marketplace, whether you call it lend, whether you call it earn, whether you call it yield, whether you offer what's called an annual percentage yield, APY. That doesn't matter. If somebody's taking their tokens and transferring it to that platform, the platform controls it. And guess what happens if they go bankrupt? You stand in line at the bankruptcy court. There's a saying in crypto that says, not your keys, not your coins. So those other platforms. That's the money shot right there. Not your keys, not your coins. So Gary Gensler is up to date on the market. I mean, he, you know, he taught blockchain at MIT. And I remember watching a video of his probably 2015, 2016. And it was all a big deal because someone at MIT was talking about blockchain and, and of course, Bitcoin. Back then, we would have been happy just people talking about any subject um, related to it. But yeah, he and he's also said, you know, Bitcoin is different. Bitcoin is pretty much the only commodity in the space. He's a big lover of Satoshi. So yeah, uh, Gary Gensler, he's probably the best guy we could have had there. But that's not saying that I think, you know, I'm like loving on the SEC or anything. They're doing a piss poor job. They don't protect consumers. They come in in the aftermath and fix things maybe for the next time, right? They are always fighting the last war. They're always trying to make these things in hindsight. Um, and Bitcoin is actually a great example of this because we've been waiting and waiting. People have been waiting for regulatory clarity or even policy clarity in, or enforcement. I don't know what you'd call that, enforcement clarity. Uh, from the SEC for years, and it hasn't come. Prester, what's her name? Prester Heston, or what is this? I forget her name now. Crypto Mom, I posted about her here up above. Let me check out. Pierce. Uh, what's her name? Hester Pierce. <laughs> Preston. Uh, Hester Pierce, she came out and... Well, for a long time she has also been at the sec one of the commissioners there and she's been talking about hey you know this is we need to move forward what is the hold up here but it's kind of part of their dna that they're always fighting the last war so they're waiting for something to blow up then they're going to come back and they're going to have enforcement that's going to be easier easier enforcement after of course all these consumers have been hurt because they can point to these consumers and say look your practices were bad and these people lost billions of dollars. Now, is that consumer protection of those people that lost billions of dollars? Absolutely not. They are not here for the consumers today. They're here to make a framework for future consumers. That's how I'm kind of rationalizing this. But um, again, I'm not a big supporter of them. I don't think that they uh, do protect consumers like I just laid out, but I'm just trying to explain what I see is the reason for kind of the tempo of their 
stuff. You know, they, they had a very slow tempo for so many years. And now all of a sudden the tempo speeding up. So why is that? Well, because I think they see an opportunity here to swoop in and make, make enforcement guidance based on now historical fact of all these scams in the space that were, you know, they were legitimate in the way that FTX was an actual business. It wasn't like a fly-by-night altcoin that scammed you out of your algorithmic DeFi peg, right? Like that's really, really hard to enforce anything against. So those types of things will probably always happen, at least maybe not to the extent that we saw because that was the first time with like uh, Terra Luna and stuff. But some of these major companies that are registered, Grayscale, FTX had to have relation because they had FTX US, so they had to be registered. Kraken, um, some of these really, oh, uh, Gemini, right? Gemini just had enforcement action from the SEC. These are big, big time things that they can come in and now make clear enforcement guidance. I don't know. I'm just, again, it sounds like rationalizing and it is, but that's what I'm seeing. Let's continue this clip because it's kind of interesting. Forbes should right. take note of this and seek to come into compliance, do the proper disclosures and registration and the like. Okay, so, but here's one of the big issues, as I think you know, which is this staking service is going to no longer be available to customers in the U.S. But interestingly, they're going to still offer the same product internationally, abroad, outside of the United States. And so it raises this larger policy question as to whether crypto a, these types of products just move offshore. Maybe that's what you want and that's a good thing. But then whether what you do about the American citizenry who's then using VPNs and all sorts of other things to, to skirt around what's happening here. Look, we're technology neutral at the SEC, but we're clearly very focused on investor protection. 330 million Americans are our clients. These firms, Kraken, knew how to register. Others know how to register. It's just a form on our website. They can come in, talk to our talented people and disclosure review teams. And if they want to offer staking, we're neutral. Come in, register, because investors need that disclosure. What are you doing with the tokens? Are you trading against the tokens? Right. Are you borrowing against the token? Are you using them for your own purposes? And we've seen this in the crypto field. So investors not only need that disclosure, but it's the law. Very interesting. My reaction to that last bit there is what can come of this? I think it's going to be extremely positive, not just for Bitcoin, but let's say you're an interested person or interested mega, you know, multi-billionaire or whatever in Europe or in Asia. And you see that the SEC is actually, they're not banning it. Okay. There's no bans here. This is, Hey, we're setting up this system. Come in. You can make a ton of money off of this industry. As long as you register with us, you know, and I think that not that I'm saying, I'm not saying that I support that. It's a very nuanced and fine gray area, but um, the, this will definitely it will absolutely attract global capital in this market to U.S. companies. It absolutely will. I have no doubt in my mind 
after listening to this clip about three or four times now. I think it's going to be hugely, hugely positive for the Bitcoin price. It's going to be hugely positive for U.S. the U.S. industry, U.S.-based industry. So miners and all of these custodians in the U.S., X, Y, Z. It's going to be hugely positive for that. Now, does the U.S., does Bitcoin need these things? This is one topic that we've been talking about for a very long time because, you know, there's this uh, crypto anarchist thread in Bitcoin for sure. And I think the main idea here is that Bitcoin doesn't need the SEC. It doesn't need government adoption. But government adoption and clear SEC guidance can speed up Bitcoin adoption. So that's a, that's two different things, right? Can the SEC and the government kill Bitcoin? No. Eventually, Bitcoin would win. But if they fought Bitcoin, it would take many generations. But if they don't fight Bitcoin, if they, like I think the U.S. will eventually back the dollar with Bitcoin, just like they backed the dollar with gold, so it'll still be the dollar. It'll just be a Bitcoin-based dollar. And the SEC setting these clear guidelines and all this stuff, Bitcoin doesn't need it, but it will speed up the adoption. It can take a 50-year process down to you know a 10-year, 15-year process. So that's that's how I look at this. Okay, let's go into the charts here and see what's happened over the last little while. Remember, I did start this new service on the website, the Market Pro, Premium Market Pro is the tier. And I sent out a big, long email this morning with, I don't know, probably two dozen charts on there of all Bitcoin different charts and, and macro charts, including uh, gold and the dollar and stocks and weaved this whole diagnosis of what's going on in the market. So check out bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50 to sign up for the free tier but or the new tier. God damn. Am I live streaming? Yeah, I'm live streaming. Okay. Um, this is the Bitcoin price. And I have been calling for a correction slash consolidation for a while. If you guys have been listening to my content, uh, I said, I brought up the RSI. I was like, you know, this RSI hitting 89 on the daily means that it is extremely overbought. But there has never been a similar overbought situation that hadn't signaled the beginning of a bull market. So there's never been an overbought daily like this in a bear market. That's for one. And two, you know, every time that we have an overbought condition this high, which is extremely high, I mean, it's almost 90 on the daily, but I think Bitcoin's got to 90 a, a couple times, maybe three or four times uh, in Bitcoin's history up above 90, but an 89 is extremely high and it's never gotten that high without a bull market that follows that. So once it hit that level, you have to say, okay, a bull market is on. Now we're in a bull market mindset. What comes next? All right, well, we probably are going to have to find some consolidation at some point in the near future because we're at 89 and we can't keep going up. We got, we have to consolidate. And so that's why I was saying we're going to consolidate here. Um, it's going to come down to around 50 because in the history of Bitcoin and stuff, it's, the average is to come back to neutral on the daily RSI. And uh, I also looked back in, in the history of Bitcoin. I said, you know, what's the kind of 
general character of these consolidation periods in the, you know, when we see the huge RSI and then a consolidation and then the next leg. And it has been slightly up, like we see right now, sitting at 21,700. And when was that RSI? Was right below this. Oh, and I need to share this with Telegram. Sorry, dudes. I'm going to share this chart. This is the result of the last few minutes of jabbering here. No matter what, you know, we've consolidated. RSI has reset, but we're still higher than the initial phase of where the RSI was so high. That's what I was talking about probably two weeks ago now. I was saying, you know, we're probably going to consolidate in an upward kind of channel, have a fake out dip, just like what's happening right now, reset to 50 and go up. And Lord help me, that's actually happened exactly as I called it. So anyway, yeah, that is what we're looking at. These levels right here, this, this bottom red one, uh, horizontal red line is sitting right around 21,000. I think that's probably likely to touch 21,000 before we go back up. If we do that, say in three days, so maybe by Monday we touch it, maybe over the weekend we touch it, I don't know, but the 50 day moving average is coming up pretty quickly. Uh, so that would be interesting to tag the 50 day, hit that 21,000, have the reset of the RSI, and then bounce up from there. Um, this big sell-off was due to what? It was due to the Kraken news. But it had needed to reset. That's kind of my understanding of the relationship between the news and the price. News can accelerate price movements. They can accelerate a random walk, or if you need to consolidate, it can force a consolidation at a certain period within a certain shorter time frame. But news doesn't necessarily make the trend. And in this case, I, I still agree with that. I think that the Kraken news has nothing to do with Bitcoin, first off, has nothing to do with the fundamentals of the market. I think it's extremely bullish for going forward, like I just explained about the Bitcoin price and about the Bitcoin industry in the United States. I think it's extremely bullish. And so overall, once this news starts getting digested over the next week, I think it's going to be, be very, very positive for the price. So we dip down, we've reset, now we're, we're going up. So that's what I'm waiting for this weekend is a bounce or maybe a brief sell-off and then a bounce early next week. Um, so that's what I'm looking at right there. All right, let's get into away from price. If you want more price, you got to subscribe to Market Pro tier. Let's go to the Hodges. This is a tweet they had. I don't know if you guys know the Hodge twins, but... Let's see if you guys can see that. Yeah, I, it's coming through. So you see this green like laser coming down through, from the sky. This is a, a image from Hawaii, I guess. And, you know, there's fog and clouds in Hawaii a lot. Uh, and so you see these lasers coming down through the clouds. They first thought it was a NASA thing, and now they've traced it to being from a Chinese satellite. And, of course, we have the China spy balloon stuff that just went all nuts. And now we have this. And this is kind of, I saw, I probably saw 20 tweets of this already this morning. So yeah, this is kind of what's taking over for the spy balloon. But I wanted to read a story here about this from Zero Hedge. Experts believe China Chinese satellite fired green lasers over Hawaii. Late last month, mysterious green laser beams were spotted from Hawaii's tallest peak. But experts initially said the burst of green beams was emitted by a NASA spacecraft, though that was proven incorrect this week with evidence pointing to a Chinese satellite. 
Space experts at the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan, NAOJ, initially tweeted on January 30th that the it, this camera captured green laser lights in the cloudy sky over one of the islands in Hawaii. The lights are thought to be from a remote sensing altimeter satellite. So the scientists, quote unquote scientists, you know, we had to take everything with the grain of salt. We had to do our own research and think about these things. But the these kind of apolitical scientists, they looked at this and said, oh, yeah, that's a remote sensor from an altimeter. Right. And OK, well, that should be, you know, we have no reason right off the bat to disbelieve them. Um, OK, let's continue. But on February 6th, one week later, NAOJ issued a correction on YouTube that specified the laser beams weren't from a U.S. spacecraft, but the most likely candidate was a Chinese satellite, All right? But did not say anything that it was not this remote altimeter uh, sensor. Okay, there's a video. Even though the Docky one satellite is supposedly an atmospheric environment monitoring spacecraft, there are many concerns after the spy balloon incident last week of space base and even high altitude surveillance equipment monitoring the US and allies. So there was no evidence that this was a, any sort of weapon or any sort of spy satellite. The evidence points toward it being an altimeter sensor. There's also no evidence that I'm aware of about the spy balloon. It's most likely all the evidence points towards it being a, you know, a weather balloon. And I don't know why people jump on it and say, oh, the Chinese are so advanced. They, of course, have satellite lasers and they're doing all of these tactics to uh, provoke the United States or they're spying on the United States. They need to know all the U.S. secrets and stuff. I mean, guys, Chinese, the Chinese are communists. Okay? We, we should know by now that central planners are stupid. Governments can't do, you know, make anything work. Um, they, especially technology, they're not really good at technology. So the Chinese are not way light years ahead of the U.S. They can't even make semiconductors by themselves, at least the most cutting edge ones. They are way behind. All right. And thinking that they have, they're going to be provoking the U.S., provo you know, doing all these secret missions that somehow we just seem to discover, uh, you know, that that's, I think it's a very large leap to believe that. But anyway, why has this caught on so much? Well, I have been saying that this is due to the era of deglobalization. People are super suspicious of each other. And just think we're one, at one point, there was peace between neighbors, neighbor countries, you know, I, I, let me say peace and cooperation. It's being replaced by suspicion. Trade can't flow as easily. Money can't flow as easily. If there, you know, you change from peace and cooperation to suspicion and maybe even conflict on your border, you cannot have a functioning globalized economy. So anyway, that's, I take these stories, this, the, the fact that the laser beam story caught on so quickly is just one more thing saying, look, it, international trust is breaking down. The international organizations that we knew, maybe not loved, but we knew for 75 years 
that order is breaking down. And the result of deglobalization is many faceted. So not only is it going to be more a more violent world, 100%, you can take that to the bank. The next 20 years, maybe 50 or 100 years are going to be more violent. You could take that to the bank. But also in a climate where, you know, people aren't trading with each other as much and they're not, money isn't flowing across borders as much. What happens to an international credit-based system? It starts to shrink and it cannot grow. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a slow bleed out of a gigantic credit bubble that took 75 years to create. And it's going to take probably a decade or two. It's already been over a decade, right? Since the great financial crisis. So it might take another decade to completely bleed out and die. And what's on the other side? The On the other side is not using Chinese yuan for everything or using euros. Just because the U.S. dollar system has collapsed doesn't mean that they're going to start using some other fiat currency. No, no, no. They're going back to a neutral money. You have to have a neutral money. You have to go back to commodity money. And that will be Bitcoin because it's just so superior to gold in so many ways. All right, but staying on China, um, let's see how fast I can do this story. So this one is China's credit monster is back. Beijing injects nearly $1 trillion in new money in one month. One month ago, when looking at the latest Chinese credit data, we said that Beijing's credit flood is about to hit, even if the December day data was disappointing. Two weeks later, I could have never seen this, by the way, this tweet that they're looking at right here, because they blocked me a long time ago on Twitter. <laughs> I called out their bad takes on Bitcoin, and they uh, this was probably 2016, and they blocked me. So anyway, um, two, oh, and it's funny because I've been syndicated on Zero Hedge, but they blocked my Twitter. Two weeks later, we got confirmation when a local paper said that, quote, China bank lending is in. Oh, geez. China bank lending in January may hit record of over 4 trillion yuan, to which our response was that China had just wasted three years in another pointless deleveraging experiment to get back to where it started with massive credit injections as the only means for growth. And this is a very, very important point with massive credit injections as the only means for growth. My theory is China was completely built off of a credit bubble, a credit bubble that derived from foreign direct investment and use of the international monetary system or financial system, which is a U.S. thing. So this is a externally driven credit bubble. And now China continues to try to repump up. They want those, you know, they're coming off this high of having 20, 15% growth for several decades. Now, the last decade, they've been down into the single digits, and now they're down into the lower single digits. And what are they going to do? They think they can inject all this credit back into the system and repump the bubble. But you can't do that for many reasons. Credit bubbles will eventually bust. The more credit you put in without letting creative destruction and deleveraging happen, you know, the lower your return on capital goes, the, the, the diminishing marginal revenue product of debt. The more debt you add, the less you can do with that debt. The, then you add more debt, you get less out of it. 
eventually you get to a point where you have negative and the bubble bursts. So what China's doing is they're just trying to pump, 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 pump. And it's not going to work. Nobody wants to buy. I mean, people want to buy from China, but nobody can buy from China right now. The world is going into recession. The U.S. is trying to become more self-sufficient in many things. There is deglobalization happening. And a country that is like 50% dependent on the globalized world and you have deglobalization coming, I wonder how well that's going to go for China. It's not going to go well, people. All right, let's continue. Fast forward to today, when just as previewed one month ago, the Chinese credit flood arrived with a bang and a record $4.9 trillion in new loans, which smashed expectations, as did the total social financing, which came at a year a near record $6 trillion yuan, or almost $1 trillion in total new credit in just one month. $1 trillion in new credit in one month they are they're pulling out the bazooka this is another money bazooka like we talked about japan's new money bazooka when they allowed that credit facility to banks to buy jgbs that was their new money bazooka this is china's new money bazooka they're like going up a notch they're going to push us out because guess what chinese banks are state-owned <laughs> they're communists they're most of their businesses when it comes to brass tacks their businesses are state-owned too. So all of this financing is central, centrally planned financing. And let me just come down here. I had a thing here. Okay, let's go through these points. So this, they're trying to sum up. This is courtesy of Goldman's Maggie Watt Way. Way. Here are the main points from the report. January total social financing came in above market expectations, mainly on stronger loan growth. The sequential growth of the total social financing stock accelerated to 11.5% month on month. Okay. Among major total social financing components, new CNY loans rose strongly after seasonal adjustment and shadow banking credit turned less negative as well. Less negative. Okay, uh, number two, overall CNY loans came in well above market expectations and the sequential growth of RMB loans accelerated to 12.7% month on month, annualized from 12.1% in December. All right, point number three, M2 growth accelerated 12.6% year on year in January from 11.8% in December. FX inflows have likely been quite strong in January. I highlighted this because he says likely, like this is his bias. No, FX flows have not likely been quite strong in January. That's why they have to print so much money over there in CNY. If there was a lot of FX inflows, they wouldn't need to print as much money. They would have money coming in. So this is just showing your bias here. The FX inflows have been quite strong? No. People don't really care about the Chinese reopening. It's only macro forecasters that are looking at this and being like, oh my God, this is so bullish. Businesses aren't saying that. Okay, number four. January loan and credit data were stronger than expectations, mostly on higher RMB loans to the corporate sector. Corporate sector, that's important. 
the acceleration in corporate loans reflected policy support and some improvement in credit demand. Some. Policymakers urged commercial banks to accelerate loan extensions and market color suggests faster loan growth in infrastructure and manufacturing sectors. Policymakers urged commercial banks to accelerate loans. The communists in the PRC, they urged commercial banks. How well is that going to turn out for them? Not well. Also, going towards infrastructure and manufacturing. I mean, manufacturing's tapped out. Inventories around the world are booming. They're just overflowing. And now they want to ramp up more manufacturing in a deglobalizing world. And their infrastructure, overbuilt already. It's overbuilt already. Their high-speed rail doesn't make money. It loses billions of dollars. They are overbuilt. What do you need in an overbuilt society or overbuilt economy? Deleveraging. Reallocation. Creative destruction. You can't do that in, well, you can't do that in a credit-based society, but China has a separate and bigger problem. Communists. (laughs) The communists, man. Communists are overthrown. People don't want communism. People want to throw communism off. So they have a problem here. They have a big, big problem. Bottom line, the January loan and credit data came red hot as we expected and as China warned. Well, China knew because they forced them to print it. Okay, the question is how soon and how extensively China's massive credit impulse reboot will flood the world. This isn't really a reboot. This is kind of like an artificial gluttonous stuffing of the throat of the Chinese economy. It's not going to work. Most likely, it's not going to spread very far. It's going to be contained with as inflation inside of their own economy. That's my prediction here. So we'll see the Chinese yuan going weakening dramatically against the U.S. So the exchange rate going up, you know, usually it's around it's been around seven, seven point one yuan per dollar. And I think it will go dramatically higher. I mean, eight, nine, something like that. And if that happens, oh my God, is that bad for investment into China? And it is just going to snowball on itself. This is a self-reinforcing cycle here in China. How widely that spreads across the globe means uh, remains to be seen and will be a function of how much inflation China manages to export to the world in the next year. Not a lot. We're deglobalizing. China is done for. That's going to do it for this week, guys. I'm going to stay on the mic for a little bit with the guys on Telegram. But for you guys watching watching on YouTube, make sure you like, share, subscribe, make a comment down below. That helps people find the channel. People watching on Twitter, thanks, guys. Like and subscribe or like and retweet, I guess, is what you need to do there. And uh, yeah, Telegram, thanks, guys, for all your support. Guys, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. Sign up for the new Market Pro tier. That's where all my fundamental, technical price analysis will be for Bitcoin and macro. Uh, use bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50 to get 50% off your first month. All right, guys, that is it. And I will see you. I hope you have a great weekend and I will see you on the next one.